everybody. My name is Joe Shelton and I'm a singer, songwriter, music producer, and recording artist from Indianapolis, Indiana. Over the last year, I've stepped out and performed music on over 200 stages. Along the way though, I met a lot of great people that I didn't expect to. They were inspiring artists and songwriters and musicians. And I want to share all of that inspiration with you. So that's what this show is about. Moonshine equals love. Shine and love on the music. Moonshine and music starts now. Everybody, welcome to episode three of season two of Moonshine and Music. It is a fantastic show today. There's a good friend of the show and a good friend in general uh, of the host. Uh, my man Steve Kinnon is the guest today on the show, and uh, I met Steve quite a while ago. Steve has hosted open mics around the city for years. He's toured all over the place. He, um, you know, came from uh, the West Coast to here in Indy. And he's brought his own style of music, and he's a very underrated player in the scene. Um, he's a fantastic entertainer, fantastic player, and a great guy. And I know you're going to love the interview today. So without any more fanfare or messing around, um, let's get right to that interview at the Books and Brews store that's located in Castleton. Here we are with Steve Kennan. So welcome to Moonshine and Music, Steve Kennan. Thanks for having me, Joe. Now, you know, that's not your real name, but your album has your real name on it. Um, yeah, I decided to call my name, my full name, by Stephen Michael Kennan, which is my birth name. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you're a kid, I, with a PH version of Stephen, the kids teach you and call you Stephanie. So I always changed it to Steve when I was younger. Um, and my mom was the only one who called me Steven for a number of years. But um, it was kind of my way of, of, of taking it back, of getting it back. Um, because I, I, I do think it sounds rather authorish, <laughs> which I, I consider myself much more of an author than I do a musician. So. Yeah, I mean, I saw the, the whole theme of the cover is the typewriter and all of that. And the old and, book. Yeah, yeah. I, I grew up, um, I had three milk crates full of old leather clad books, classics and such, when I, from a garage sale. And I got grounded a lot when I was a kid, so I read a lot. <laughs> you, you got grounded? That, that oh, can't yeah. be. I got grounded a lot. So where did you get grounded? Where, where did you grow up? I grew up in Southern California. I was born in Colorado. Uh, spent a little bit of time in Las Vegas, Texas, and then we moved to California when I was starting the fifth grade. And uh, it was, without sounding corny, it was kind of like I'd been there a million times in my life, but I'd never been to California before. But when I moved there, I felt really, really at home there. Yeah. So what, what what was it like growing up uh, out there in Southern California? I know that like uh, I you know from knowing you, I know you've done skateboarding and yeah, we grew up just a few blocks from the ocean, so skateboarding and surfing were kind of a way of life. 
Um, the kids who grew up there, you know, were third, fourth generation skaters and surfers, and and then there was also the multicultural thing that was really, really cool, big part of my life. The Latinos and the the Asians and the Eastern Europeans and Scandinavians and even there was a whole lot of the Muslim population and mm -hmm. the best thing about that is when you go to your friend's house to eat it's always amazing food <laughs> so in California you can eat really well um, and the multicultural thing also had a real big effect on the music that was out there if you remember the bands like Sublime and the Red Hot Chili Peppers it was a lot of things at once and that was kind of a a new thing you back then you had to be you were either a punk band or you were a rock band or you were an acoustic folk band you couldn't do but the bands in california were doing that they were doing you know start out the song reggae and end up punk mm -hmm. or start out the song folk and end up metal and come back to folk and i think i really felt a kinship with that um because to me it's hard for me to classify bands. Like, I just know that I like stories. Um, songs have kind of just saved my life. I, I can remember the first time I've heard, I've got a list of maybe 50, 60, 70 favorite songs, and I can tell you about the first time I heard them, where I was, the smells. Um, so yeah, songs have just been a huge part of my life. Well, what's one of those? I mean, like, you know, a good example, because we need good stories for the show. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> You know, well, like sometimes we're stuck with uh, without them, and and we really like good stories. Well, the cool thing about being a kid in the '70s and '80s was there was these great big wooden stereo systems. The speakers were on one end, and you'd <laughs> open up this out. side, and then yeah. there would be all the records in here, and then you open up this side, and there's the turntable. Right, you fold down the turntable. We had one of those. Yeah. And I would put records on, and you could stack them. It would it would play one, and then it would take it off and put the new one on. Right, the automatic record changer. So yeah, I would put on like six records, and Jackson Brown is the first thing that came to mind. Jackson Brown running on Empty album. Mm -hmm. um, I used to just sit, and my mom would come in the living room, and I'd be crying, and I didn't even know why I was crying. It was just these songs just just touched me, and I was like, people can do this for a living. Like it always, it always fascinated me that, and then if you know about the Jackson Brown running on Empty album, it's all about being in a band and being on the road, and it was all either recorded live, on the bus, or in hotels, which I always thought was really cool because you can hear that. Like if you, and back then mm -hmm. we had albums. Yeah, there was a thing called record albums back in the day, and the only thing you knew about the band was when you opened up that record and read what was in there. That's the only thing I knew. But they did a really good job back then of listing the credits, who played what. And I always thought it was cool because there was two songs where the bass player was playing a cardboard box as a bass drum on the tour bus. And if you listen with headphones, you can hear that bus changing gears. And I always thought that was really cool, you know. It was, so sometimes production um, can suffer a little bit if the, the intent and the, the emotion of the song is still there. Yeah. Well, you know, I find that's true. I really like, um, I, I personally really like live albums in general. Yeah. Uh, like some of my favorite records are live records, like um, live uh, uh, You Get What You Play For from REO Speedwagon. Oh, yeah. Or um, like uh, Bob Seger, Live Bullet. Yeah. You know, like those records, like I grew up on, uh, like, you know, you have all the other ones, so you've heard all the hits or whatever, and you throw on one of those live ones and just 
feels different. You know, like the, the, the way that they're singing the songs is a little different. And usually a little bit faster, just a right. touch faster because they're jacked up. And or, the or maybe a little bit off even. Like they don't even, like, you know, may not completely stay in the same speed. Yeah. Um, but they don't really care because they're playing it live, you know. Yeah, and um, there's some artistic... And, and when you're there in the audience, when you're watching a show like that, it's okay they mess up a little bit. It's, it's totally okay because you've already listened to it 600,000 times and 34 on the way to the show, you know, <laughs> so it's okay if they mess up a little bit. And that's, you know, I, I always kind of take that spirit when I play live. I'm like, you know, yeah, I want to I wanna give the best rendition of the songs that I can do. But also, every once in a while, if you're just feeling something and you just want to take it a new direction, that's okay too. Yeah. So, um, what age were you when you started playing? I, you, well, you were pretty young. You're listening to them on the yeah. the wooden box. Yeah. Uh, you know, which is like, you know, a picture of it is needed, but everyone probably knows what we're talking about. If they're, well, if just they're, for if the they're, record, too, everybody when CDs came out, everybody said they sounded better, and I'm like, I don't know. They just sound. They have more high end, and they don't have that low mid quality that you get from playing vinyl on a great big wooden box, a lot of wood resonating. Well, what I thought about CDs is that they sounded better because they didn't have any scratches or skips. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, a brand new record sounded better to me even then, but you know, uh, yeah, they didn't you, know, age. you pull That's out true. those ones that are like, you know, your buddy brings one over. You have to hear this kiss record yeah. and it's like kiss alive. <laughs> it's <too>. like, <laughs> Where it's like, I want to rock and roll. All, I want to rock and roll. I want to rock and roll. You know, like, because it gets stuck. Um, you know. Uh, well, we had one, a record that had warped because my brother had a turntable that he left <laughs> in his window seal. Well, warped always good because they, like, yeah. it rides the wave. And then you could take, like, six pennies and tape them to the arm <laughs> and it would ride over the wave if there was enough weight. Even a real you big get warp. through the wake. Yeah. <laughs> I listened to the Rolling Stones tattoo you like that for two summers. <laughs> About All right, we're gonna listen to Rolling Stones. I need a sack of pennies. Let me. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's part of the deal. That's funny. I I, uh, I still put a penny on mine sometimes to play some of my. But uh, I, I have a stack of vinyl. I'll pull it out, and you know we need a penny because there's too much wave in this record. Yeah. Um, but you know the, the I think that was the thing about CDs for me was they were just pristine. Yeah. You know if they got scratched up and they started skipping then. It was really horrible. You just throw them out. Whereas with the records, <laughs> they started to skip. See, I, I heard a story that the first year that CDs came out, they were just about indestructible. They were. And the record industry was like, whoa. In the past, we've never had that. Everything degraded. So they started making them of lesser quality. When they oh, and they were expensive to make that way as well. I, yeah. That's probably true. The uh, DVD, like the Blu-ray discs, are pretty indestructible. Okay. Have you grabbed a blue? Have you seen a Blu-ray yeah, disc? Yeah, yeah. They're really hard to scratch. Uh, I mean, you can obviously if you take a carpet knife to it, but MP3s <laughs> can't get scratched. <laughs> well, true, and you know, but they don't sound as good either. And somebody tried to explain that whole theory to me about how they're random zeros and ones that are pulled out of it by an algorithm and then the player puts it back in put supposedly puts all those ones and zeros back in and I thought that doesn't sound like a very good way to go but it's convenient uh, <laughs> well it's called com data compression yeah but you know that sounds like a really geeky conversation that I'm not going to jump into you tried to troll me we could get, get geeky. me there we could get geeky I mean I could get geeky really fast 
Um, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of music geek going on in the interview already. We don't need to get into the tech geek side of me because uh, how MP3 compression works is definitely a geeky topic. <laughs> Slippery slope. We're going to need more beer if we're doing that. Um, or some actual moonshine. I mean, we're in a we're in a brewery, so now now we're doing the beer. Yeah, it's a books but, and brews, you know. Um, but that's okay. The, the, and and the beer here is good. So it's very nice. And they have these nice mugs you can get in the mug club, you know. See, you know. Um, but anyway, um, I guess rolling forward, when did you start writing songs? I I started writing poetry and short stories probably three years before I actually wrote a song. Um, and it was kind of an adaptation of one of my first poems that I wrote. I had a, a teacher in fifth grade that really encouraged me to write. Um, and I was kind of always afraid of it before that. So in about fifth grade, I really started writing a lot. I had notebooks that I would just fill up about every week and i just keep them under my bed. Still have a whole bunch of them. So, I was in about probably sixth grade when I wrote my first song. And I could barely play guitar. I think it had a G, an F, and a C. Go figure. <laughs> um, As most songs do. Yeah, most of the good ones. <laughs> and um, it, was, it was one of those things where I, I, I really didn't play it for anybody probably till I was in about ninth or tenth grade. I never played any of the stuff that I wrote because I was so insecure with it. Um, but it was always one of those things where it's about the only thing on the planet that makes any sense to me is writing. And every time I've ever had a hard time in my life, songs and writing songs has always pulled me through. So I would say eighth grade was when I really thought, hey, there's something to this. And uh, I started studying it, started really, you know, reading the stream of consciousness stuff, Jack Kerouac and things like that. And then in high school, I got really into uh, the poetry of Charles Bukowski, which is kind of an R-rated poet who got way more famous after he died. He was kind of a Van Gogh of the poetry world. And then I saw a documentary about him and I thought, I, I had cold chills because I saw him. And actually my freshman year when I was at Long Beach State, I went to a coffee shop, poetry reading, and he was reading. And, oh, he, and he, that's cool. he took the time to put down his wine bottle and cuss out the whole left half of the audience because they weren't quiet enough. <laughs> he was a great big imposing man. And I remembered it. I thought, wow, that guy's a really good poet. And I definitely know he would kick everybody's ass in here. <laughs> and then when I realized I, that I had seen Charles Bukowski, I was just filled with regret that I didn't know who he was back then. Maybe I could have tagged along and picked his brain a little bit. It's one of my great regrets is that I didn't get to meet that guy. Hmm. Well, that's, that's cool. So you started writing uh, around the eighth grade. When was your first band? Was it uh, around um, that same time or a little bit later? Well, Living in Southern California, um, music was really prevalent. There was bands like in every neighborhood. It seemed like, and, you know, there'd be bands playing in the garage. And but um, I grew up with the son of a really famous jazz drummer, 
and his name was the the kid I knew was named Kent Murray, and he was already a really good drummer when we were in the sixth grade. He was just unbelievable. So we actually had a band uh, in sixth grade, and we didn't we didn't write into our own music for that band. It was just all cover songs, and we played on the last day of school of eighth grade at lunchtime. So that was our big debut, um, and then. I was in a, a couple of different bands in high school, and then was in a couple of bands when my time at Long Beach State, um, and that was back when Sublime was a backyard band, and uh, that whole concept of playing shows every night and having a group of people that kind of went and did security slash beer sales to fund the whole operation. Then I saw the DIY aspect of being in a band. Um, Sublime was making a ton of money before they ever had a record deal playing up and down the coast in California. Of course, it's a lot, uh, backyard parties are a lot easier going by the cops out there. They don't really care about it out there. They're fine. That you guys can do whatever you want to do as long as you're not too loud by midnight. So what was your, uh, what, what were some of your early band names? <laughs> the first band I was in was called Search and Destroy. Search and destroy. Man, you guys are hard hardcore. We weren't though. We weren't we weren't a hardcore <laughs> band. I played in some some kind of punk bands um, back in the day, but that one wasn't. It was kinda like a classic rock bass. We did we did Billy Squire covers, we did Van Halen, we did uh, the Kingsmen, we did uh, gosh I can't even remember who else but <laughs> yeah, it was just it was just the camaraderie, the, the the band camaraderie was really cool. It was just a way to, you know, have fun with your friends. So what brought you over to Indiana? Well my parents my parents moved to Indiana when I was in college. Um, my dad was a, a NFL football coach for about twenty years. And he came here, he was a offensive coordinator for the Colts. And so I came out here and did some more school at IUPUI and lived with them for a little while. And then uh, I found out about Broad Ripple and kind of discovered that community back, you know, going back about 20 years ago and just really felt a kinship with it. And I just, I felt like Indianapolis was still a city that was becoming, it was on its, on its way up. And that really, even though it was really far away from the beach, <laughs> that was okay <laughs> with me because I, I, I saw the possibilities and I, I just felt a there was something about the city that I could just tell was on the way up and I, I wanted to be part of that I've been here a long time so and this is your first solo record though the new one this is my first solo record yeah I um, was uh, at a point in my life about 10 years ago where I went through a divorce and uh, hadn't played music in about a year literally hadn't even hardly picked up a guitar in a year and uh, I picked it up and started writing again, and I just, something just made my back stand up straight, and I was like, it's time. It's time to start writing again, it's time to start playing again. And uh, it was kind of a second job for a while, and then it just kind of mushroomed into, I was playing, you know, 200 nights a year for about five years there. Um, and the whole time I was writing, and I decided about six years ago, to really start writing, honestly writing, and I decided I was going to write 50 songs and pick the best 15 for a record. And it's a long record, and I realize in, by today's standards that that's a really long album. I, I, when I was listening back to it, but I'm like, 
That's okay. It's it was a documentation of the process, um, and it was okay that it was long. Um, and I actually I think I told you the story of I was 99.9% done with it, and I lost it um, when I was transferring it from my computer to an external hard drive. And I thought, man, I spent two days looking for it, trying to find it on the external hard drive, and it was just in this weird code <laughs> that I didn't know. It was gonna take, it was gonna take a That's month. That's gotta be like the most painful thought in the world, too. But then again, then again, it was like, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up on this. And I'm like, okay, those were just the demos. I spent six months on them, and I remember them. I remember every track, because I did some multi-tracking on it. I, I played drums and bass and lap steel and electric guitar. It's mostly an acoustic guitar and vocal record, but there are some other elements on it. And I knew every last melody, every last drum beat, every last bass fill, so I just did it again. I was like, I'm doing it again. I don't care how hard it is, how painful it is, I'm going to get the damn thing done. That was just, and when I was done, it was so relieving. Like, I didn't believe it. I, I kept thinking I sent it away to be mastered and, and printed, and I'm like, something's gonna happen. It's gonna get screwed up again. I just know it. I just know it. But it didn't, it, it, it was out there and it was fine. And my dear friend, um, Kyle Krauskopf, is an artist who lives in Seattle now. He's originally from Indiana. I told him about the concept of having the, the typewriter, because I still love to type on an actual typewriter and having the book and the table and, and he did this watercolor painting. It was just it was just perfect. So it really worked out. I'm glad that because I wasn't gonna he was so busy that I wasn't gonna bug him about doing the record, but then when the when I had the collapse, then I thought I'm gonna get Kyle involved in this too. So it it, it gave me time to let the whole thing come full circle. Well, it's a great record. I've listened to it several times. Uh, Sally's Gonna Be a Stand-Up is my favorite tune on there. I've played it, I don't know, it's ridiculous. If you go out and look, probably most of the plays for that song are me. That's my son um, likes that one too. Uh, I, so, anyway, I dig that song and um, <laughs> I want to... Uh, um, hear you guys hear you play some songs today so are you I'm about ready. ready to do that I'm ready to do that all right man let's jump in there thanks for being on the show thanks for having me Joe next week on moonshine and music we're gonna chill out with Brandon Wadley and some of his fantastic music and this is what it sounds like I can hear the cavern of the saints tell me what you want me to say I can touch the light upon the walls Tell me what you want me to feel I can hear the cavern of the saints Tell me what you want me to say I can touch the light upon the walls Tell me what you want me to feel Uh, this first song is called Sally's Gonna Be a Stand-Up. My friend Joe said he really likes it. My son, who's three and a half, likes it too. It's actually a true story. Sally's gonna be a stand-up. She's got four good jokes. Try it out, three of them On a 
couple of the local folks Hello, tales are over dinner Sally, you're sure to fail Sally swore that the open stage Is how she's getting out of hell talked about the war. Uh, my grandfather fought in World War II. He was a CB, uh, the fought in the Pacific Campaign. And actually he was part of the construction crew 
the construction core that got, is really a bad deal because you got put in first to build the docks and the bridges and everything for all the troops coming into the Pacific War. And he never talked about it until uh, he was well aware that his death was coming. So told me a lot of stuff about it. I wrote this, uh, gosh, probably been almost five years to the day. I remember it was this time of year when I wrote it. It's called Grandpa Never Talked About the War. in the Second World War Half a world away when his second son was born The South Pacific sun could never burn Like a will that my grandpa must have had to return Had to make it home just to meet his son See what his wife and first child had become He came home more grateful than before Son of his grew up to be my dad Tried so hard to tell me about the pain Grandpa had Happened away at 20 years old Things that they'd seen made the memory cold The dying, the fighting, the friends that they had lost Defending their country at whatever the cost My grandpa was gentle, never showed me his scars My grandpa never talked about the war Turn a pride to his boys Dad taught me And it brings me such joy To know that my blood Ran through that gray man As he bravely stepped foot On those faraway lands And as hard as I'm sure He must have had to be He was always quiet and peaceful When he was around me His smile will remind you What your family was for My grandpa never Talked about the war That destruction he'd seen The death and the chaos And all the places they'd been He tried to spare us The bloody details He was trying to point out Something else Said don't let him tell you That's what human beings are for Something so terrible As the second world war They made it sound like Some big brave thing But my friends got cut down Man that's all I see 
how could they know at 20 years old how much hell this conflict would hold? They went there as children, had bright hopeful eyes. They came home as men, changed by his size. He came home, but there were so many more that never came back to talk about the world. Uh, this next song is actually the first song on my record. Uh, it's called Like Knives. And it's kind of just about writing and its catharsis and how healing writing and words can be. They just happen to be They're no longer a cop 
in the moonshine on music stage at Books and Brews in Castleton, of course. And it was very, very awesome to have you on the show today. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody, for joining us here on Moonshine and Music. Come in and check in next week on next Sunday and every Sunday for another episode where you get to have a uh, you know an inspiring chat with some great songwriters or indie musicians or whoever it might be that week. Next week, of course, we got Brandon Wadley. I know you're going to love it. So check in with us then. And we'll see you next time on Moonshine and Music. Moonshine and Music is a presentation of Not Less Entertainment. Copyright 2018, all rights reserved. The producer for today's show is Joe Shelton. And our cameraman, grip, and stunt double was Brent Lee Smith. Please join us again next Sunday for Moonshine and Music.